need to be willing to be set aside. We need to be set apart from the world, from the culture, from everything around us, and be obedient to the voice of God in our lives. Next, we need to understand that God's directions include His provisions. Wherever God directs you, He will provide for you. Amen? Wherever He directs you, He will provide for you. And that leads us to the third thing, is that trusting in God needs to be focused on one day at a time. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15 talk about, why are you talking about uh, tomorrow or in the weeks and the years to come? We'll go to this city and we'll do this and we'll do that. And he reminds us that your life is but a vapor. You're here one day, you're gone the next. So why are you making all of these plans like you're looking forward and you're not living and trusting in the moment, in the day that Christ has you? He said you should be saying that if the Lord wills. Anybody remember like their parents or grandparents saying that with like everything that they would talk about? Like if the Lord wills. It wasn't just some quippy statement. That's Scripture. Like, if the Lord wills. So my trust and your trust needs to be improved one day at a time. And then the last thing is that when you're facing dry times in your life, that doesn't always mean that God is against you. Dry times can mean His approval. Yeah, we don't like that too much, do we? Like Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, right? He was in a dry time. But it was God's approval on His life that led Him there. Elijah, we find at Cherith in a dry time, God led Him there. We see the same thing with so many of the men and women of God in the Bible that dry times in your life doesn't always equal punishment. That's where we like to go first, right? Like, God, why? 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 What have I done? Dry times can actually be a sign of God's approval. But if we remember that we've got to be willing to be set apart, that we, we remember that God's directions include His provision, and we remember that we're trusting Him one day at a time, this day, as it's today, that's when I'm trusting, then we begin to have a different perspective of where God has us in the moment. So with all of that being said, we're getting ready. Elijah's moving from Cherith to Zarephath. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17. Now, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one there in front of you. It's going to be on pages 349, 348, in that general area there. Going to kind of bounce back and forth there. But 1 Kings chapter 17, we're going to be reading verses 8 through 16. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town, to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called and asked her, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. 
But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have, and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So he went away and did as Elijah, she went away and did what as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word that the Lord had spoken by Elijah. Say a quick word of prayer over our message this morning. Father, I just thank you so much, God, for this day, for this opportunity to be in your house, to enjoy your presence as a family. God, I pray that as we now enter into this time in your word, that you would uh, use my voice, Holy Spirit, to speak your truths. Help me to rightly divide this passage this morning and speak your word with accuracy, with love, and with compassion. Father, I pray that you would move upon the hearts of those who are hearing this message, that it would speak to them what they need in their hearts, whether that be encouragement, whether that be comfort, conviction. God, you know the needs of all of our hearts, and I pray that you take my words and use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So we find a command to begin this passage. The command happens in verses 8 and 9. And that is to rise from your place at Cherith and move to a place called Zarephath, where I am... You're going to meet a widow there. I'm making provision for you there. Let's understand a couple things about this. Like Elijah, right now at this time, is like number one on King Ahab's top ten most wanted list. Like he is a fugitive from the king. They are searching for him. Good things are not the intention of the king. As he's telling Elijah... As God's telling Elijah to get up and move. So this obedience, so obedience here to this command takes some courage, some bravery. It goes against what I'm sure would be Elijah's fleshly response. I enjoy being comfortable. I like comfortable. I've got a recliner that has my imprint on it. It's comfortable, and I like it. I miss my recliner when I'm not there. But anyhow, not, not going down that rabbit hole. Elijah found himself at a place of comfort at Cherith. And even though the water was running dry, even though the food had stopped being supplied by the ravens, by the birds, I think left to my own devices, I've found myself in a lot of situations to where everything around me is dried up, but I'm comfortable, so it's really difficult for me to move from one place to another that God's leading me to, even if my provisions have run dry. The nation of Israel, three of the tribes decided that once the promised land was conquered, that, hey, we like the wilderness so much, we're going to go back to the wilderness side of the Jordan and take habitation there. We like our comfort, regardless sometimes of what surrounds us. We can, have, we can have dysfunction. We can have unhealthy things. We can have things that drain the life out of us, surrounding us, but 
we've got a recliner there that has our imprint on it. And sometimes the easiest thing for us to do is just remain comfortable even when the dryness is growing day by day. So Elijah responds to this command and he makes a trip which would have been, the meaning would be that he is out in the open making this trip. Like he is exposing himself to the people who have been sent after him to arrest him, to bring him in and to ultimately take his life. But God had commanded it and he understood that God met his needs and gave him provision while he was at, the, at, at Cherith. And now he knows that God provided for me here. If God's asking me to go for it, then God's going to provide for me there as well. And I want to kind of speak that as a word of encouragement. If you're in here this morning and you're wrestling between two places that you feel like God is calling you out of one season and into a new one, take a step of faith and trust God that He provided for you in the previous season and He's never failed you yet. He will provide you in the new season. And He will even provide for you while you're in transit. While you're in midst of the journey. God will provide for you. Interesting thing about this word Zarephath, it's a Hebrew word, and when it's used as a verb, it means to, to melt or to smelt, like in, a, in refining gold. But if you use it as a noun, it means crucible. So here, Elijah, God's like, I want you to get up from this place that I've provided for you, and I want you to walk right smack dab into the middle of a crucible. I'm going to lead you into a fire. I'm going to lead you into a place where I continually refine you. And that's what God does. Because we're going to see something here in a minute that Elijah faces issues and difficulties when he gets there. But in our life, God is continually refining us. May I ask you this question this morning, and I hope you know this, but do you know that as you sit here, why did my mind immediately go, do you know the muffin man? Why does this stuff happen to me? That's what goes on in the back of my mind. I don't always say it. But do you know <laughs> that I've lost them just completely right there? Do you know that as you sit here, God loves you just the way you are? Do you know that? God loves you just the way you are. But let me, let me throw this at you. To quote Max Licato, God loves you just the way you are, but He refuses to leave you that way because He wants you to be just like Jesus. See, we're all in this process of being refined. That, that fire can be set to something in our lives, that, that the heat can get to where it's almost unbearable. But in those moments of purification, in those moments of refinement, what's happening is, is all this impurity, all of the uh, dysfunction, all of the lingering sin that's hanging around in our flesh, it rises to the top and God is the master refiner. He's the one that removes the imperfections. God loves you just as you are. But He refuses to leave you that way. Why? Because He loves you so much that He's not willing to leave you in that place. Just as He wasn't content with leaving Elijah there, He wants you to be just like Jesus. The next thing we see in this passage is we see the encounter. 
And that happens verses 10 through 16. So, you know, we read it. I'm not going to, to reread it, but he gets to Zarephath, which is not a Hebrew location, by the way. Okay, it's not a nation of Israel. It's they, they don't serve God Yahweh. He's at this place in a foreign country, surrounded by people who believe differently than him, who have different cultural values than him, who serve different gods than what he serves. So not only has he made this trip and this journey that's dangerous because of his status within the kingdom, but he's also walking into a place. He's not going to church, y'all. Okay, He's not walking into church. He's walking into a different culture. And he sees this widow. And now, one of the things, and, and we'll get a little bit further and deeper into the background and the history of the widow that he encounters here at Zarephath, but what I want us to kind of focus on today is how much better did it really get for Elijah? Have we ever considered that? Like he moved from Cherith because the provision was running out. Right? His faith was being tested at Cherith. And then God gave him a command to move because I've cut the provision off. And by the way, the water running dry was a result of Elijah's obedience. Again, dry times don't always mean that you're being punished. He was obedient to God, declared the drought, and eventually the water source where he was at Cherith ran dry. But he gets there. He leaves a place where there's zero water and there's zero food. God takes him on a somewhat perilous route and a journey into a new place where, hey, by the way, it's a crucible, and that's how it's going to serve in your life. You're going to face trials. You're going to face testing. You're going to have impure... impure impi, impi, pow! Did you ever just get so far ahead of yourself that your English fails? You're going to have impurities rise out of your life. How much better did it really get because he goes from zero food, zero water, to a place that he is being instructed by to, to, to ask this widow that, God, I'm going to provide for you through this widow. No food, no water. Now he's got the surplus of enough food for one meal. Split three ways. Like, I mean... He goes from zero food to not even enough for second breakfast. How much better did the situation get? He's not in a city that serves God. He's not surrounded by his countrymen. He's still in a place that is very loyal to King Ahab. He's got that much more food and that much more water than what he had before and he encounters this woman. I had, I had a, a maintenance man uh, out at Carter City Elementary. Salute Carter City. Yeah, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. He would always tell us, you know, like I remember when we got vending machines. Oh, glorious day at school when we got some vending machines. And I didn't have any change. And I asked him, I was like, hey, can I have 50 cents? And I remember he, one of his favorite sayings was, he was Poe. I can't give you no money because I'm poor. And I remember asking him one day, do you mean poor? He went, no, 
I mean Poe. I'm so Poe, I can't even afford the other O-R. And that's what he was facing. That's what the, he goes to this widow. God takes him to this widow. She's not poor. She's Poe. Like she's got nothing, which includes she had zero hope. Notice her terminology. I've come so that I can gather a bundle of sticks. I can go home. I can take what little I've got and make a last meal for me and my family and then die. That's not, that's not low hope or little hope. That's hopelessness. And God sends Elijah into this situation, not only to provide for him, but to bring hope to those that do not have hope. You know, and you'll notice that everything that we have here, we've got slides, we've got it on our website, our, all of our publications, that FCC Grayson, your story isn't over yet. Hope starts here. And it's not because we're this amazing church that's knocking it out of the park on everything. No, that's not it at all. Hope starts here because Jesus is here. And that's it. It's not because you're here. It's not because I'm here. Ego buster right here. You take all of us out. You bring new people in that love and serve the Lord. Guess what? Jesus is still here. And there's still hope here because it's not dependent upon us. But we see this situation where God is introducing hope. Now, it's really hard for us to recognize that, isn't it? Like at times in our lives when we're facing a dry time, because God, God will test our faith. There will be things in our life that will test our faith. And here's what has never happened to me. I face one test of my faith, I pass it with flying colors, and then I'm just prancing through a meadow for the rest of the time. Like singing the sound of music. No, what has typically happened in my life, and I'm sure probably similar to yours, is like I face one test of faith. Okay, God got me through that one. Guess what? Immediately, right into another test of faith. And then another test of faith. And then another test of faith. And sometimes, uh, you know, I was reading out of Isaiah 49, 14 through 16 this week, where it says, And Jerusalem cried out, My God has forsaken me. My God has forgotten me. And then God replies, said, how could a mother forget the child nursing? How could she forsake her child? And then he goes on to say that even if that is possible, it's not possible with me. I will forget you not, for I have scribed you on the palms of my hands. So remember that passage, Isaiah 49, 14-16, when you get into those dry times, those difficult times in your life where you feel like, God has forgotten me. God has forsaken me. Remember those words that God said, that like, listen, even if it's possible for a mother to forget her children, it is impossible for me to forget you because you're right there on the palms of His hand. How amazing is that? So we see Elijah at this place. And he's like, bring me bread. Bring me water. And I promise there's going to be enough, not only for you to bring it for me, but there's going to be enough 
for your family as well. And it's not only going to be enough for you to have one meal. It's not only going to be enough for you to have two meals or three meals. It's going to be enough. It's not going to run dry until rain falls again. I want to encourage you this morning. I know there is a lot of hurt happening in our lives right now. I can look in just about every area of this church and I can tell you where there's a place of loss, a place of struggle, a place of hurt, a place of sorrow. There's a lot. And it's really easy for us to kind of take on that Jeremiah concept, isn't it? That just throwing up our hands and saying, I quit. Like, I can't do this anymore. I'm so overwhelmed. There's so much on me. I can't do this anymore. God has forgotten me. God has forsaken me. No. Understand that God has you where He wants you. When you are leaning on Him, when you are looking towards Him, and you are understanding that my provision, my sustenance, the things that I need for today aren't, aren't acquired by my devices. It's through the provision of God and God alone. So I want to give us four little practical takeaways, four practical lessons from this message today that I, I encourage you to use in your life. As you're going through these tests of your faith, as you've moved maybe from the dry area to the just a little bit less dry area. Number one, y'all ready for this? Don't overanalyze what's happening. Don't overanalyze what God is doing in your life. Anybody, anybody, anybody ever been able to do this? Because that's what we do, right? We overanalyze. Don't overanalyze it because guess what? Most of the time, what God does in your life is going to be a surprise. You're not going to see it coming. Listen, I stand here before you today, and this is not rhetoric at all. I stand here before you and I, I consider myself the luckiest and most blessed pastor in the world because I am pastoring here. But can I tell you, me coming here over eight years ago was a complete and utter shock to me and my family. Like, we said no. God said yes. Don't overanalyze what God's doing. Second, don't quit. Don't quit. Oftentimes, the hardest days are the first days of what you're facing. Don't quit. Rely on God. Rely on your brothers and sisters. Take a look around this morning at the people that are surrounding you here. Take a look around at the people that God has placed in your life. Don't quit. No matter how hard it gets, don't quit. You've got people who love you, who want to see the best for you, and who are willing to lock arms with you and walk this journey of life no matter how difficult the time you're going through is. Amen? Thirdly, don't ignore your part. Don't ignore the part that you have to play in what God's doing in your life. You know what the differences 
what the difference is between the promises of God that He makes in the Bible and when God makes an oath. Whenever God makes an oath, it doesn't matter what you and I do, it's happening. Like, that's the, that's the oath, that's the word of the sovereign God. When He makes an oath, we can, we can try to work against it all we want to. It's happening. God's promises in your life are attached to your obedience. Don't ignore your part. And I, I would love to see a sign of hands. How many of you would like to see God's promises be fulfilled in your life? Most, most always, those are going to come with an act of obedience. Not popular, but it's true. Yeah. The next thing, don't fail to be thankful. Don't fail to be thankful. God's provision in your life and Him supplying for your needs most of the time is just enough to get you through. And I know if you're, <laughs> that goes in the face of a prosperity gospel message. I get it. Good. Most of the time, God's going to give you exactly what you need to get you through the season that He has you in. Do not forget, do not neglect to be thankful for what God has given you. You know what's the easiest thing for me to do? Is to look at all the things that I don't have and overlook the things that I do. And the easiest things for me to do is look how God is blessing someone else with, someone else with something that I really want and fail to be thankful and be grateful for what He has given me. And I think that if we would shift our perspective in that area, that if instead of what I don't have, if we would start looking more at what I do have and being thankful to God for giving me that, I think we would notice a big change in our lives. And again, that may mean more, but that may mean not more. But what you'll do is you'll focus yourself off of what I don't have to what He has blessed me with. I remember, you know, Kelly was talking about a little bit earlier about their shifting in their financial situation. Kim and I experienced something fairly similar as we were younger, newly-er married. Is that there was a time that we were sitting down at the table, and that, that's when you were, you know, still back in the day when you sat down and you wrote out checks each month, you know, for the bills. I don't know why, it just... Felt like the weight of those bills hit harder with every check. But I remember us making out all the bills and we looked at each other and we, we were just like, we have nothing left. Like there's nothing left. And I remember Kim looked at me and she went, but praise God we had enough to pay our bills. But thank God we had enough to pay our bills. And I said, you know what? You're right. Thank you, Father, for supplying everything that we need. We had food, we had a house, we had clothes, we had our bills paid. Thank you, God, for providing me everything that I need.